We are coming in hot. The podcast. Welcome to Coming In Hot. Thank you live from Airplay Beats for the intro music. We are recording live from Darling New Media Studios in Midtown Sac. All right, people. Um, we're we're going to take a little detour this this week because it's uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And something that I kind of talk briefly about on this podcast coming in hot is my mental health and what brought me to finding help with my alcoholism, uh, my, my, my drugs, um, and just being a better husband, a better father, a better employer, um, you know, something that is really taboo when I was growing up. I didn't hear about mental health. I didn't hear about therapists unless it was for a sports injury. Um, but we got a very, very special guest that I'm going to be talking to today. He is the CEO, the founder of Cheat Code. He is the director of the Cheat Code Foundation the concierge doctor to professional athletes. We got Dr. Armando Gonzalez in the building. What's up, Doc? Now, I, I need some intro music, too, <laughs> after that intro, because I'm ready to run out the tunnel. Do, yeah. Where do I run out? <laughs> My gosh, man, you got me fired up. Let's yeah, go. Let's get into it, man. And, you know, like what I was talking about in the beginning, you know, I'm, I'm from I'm from the hood. You know yeah, what I mean? What, what what hood are you from? I'm from the Strawberry Manors, man, right outside of DPH. Okay. Yeah, okay. man. So um, right right off of Norwood and Silver Eagles, where I came from. Uh, Grant, Grant High School or what? No, nah, I actually went to Mariloma. Uh, okay. my, my family moved to um, Westgate, which was in the Rio Linda High School. I, my, my parents were okay with Grant. But when we moved to the Rio Linda High School District, it was like, we got to figure something out. Like, so, yeah, we're we're going to audible. Yeah, we're going to audible. So I got an inter-district transfer to go to um, go to Mariloma and Carmichael. Um, and and <laughs> that's kind of where my drinking started, messing around <laughs> in Carmichael. <laughs> Hey, that's that's where a lot of a lot of drinking starts. Yeah, in yeah. Carmichael. It also starts in Del Paso Heights. Yes. Drinking doesn't discriminate, man. I love how you lead with that too, because I mean, just just getting a chance to meet you, man. Like, it's funny. Like, we, we talk about all these these titles, and I'm sure when people introduce you, they introduce you with all these titles of of all the success you've had and what you do. But it's like at the end of the day, man. Like, we're just people, and I, I know for me too. Like, I've had my own struggles, even as a as a mental health doctor, like I've had my own struggles with mental health. I have my own struggles with, mm-hmm. with uh, substance and alcohol. Like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think that the climate of, you know, what's good about a month like this and why I appreciate you having me on is that, you know, we make space, but my hope is that just like a lot of the months, including February black history month, that eventually we talk about it enough to where we talk about it 12 months, not just one month yes. of the year. Yes. And it just becomes part of the landscape of what we touch on all the time. Yeah, and that's that's a great thing to talk about because I I believe um over these last few years um especially with the Black History Month being the shortest month of of them all, but you know, just like you said, we're we're talking about 12 months and 
it it, it comes from it it comes from a sucky place, Doc, because you yep. know there's black there's black and brown folks out here being killed, and then yep. that that becomes the forefront of everything. It's like, yep. oh, you know, we got it on camera, but in my neighborhood where I grew up, it happened almost every single day, and that takes a lot out of a person. So you know, growing up in in that environment and. It, I, I'm not going to tell you that I was out in them streets, you know, like my parents kept a close lid on me and my sister and my, my cousins that I grew up with were very close knit. So we weren't out there gang banging and drug dealing and doing all this stuff. But when you're in that environment and you see that, and then you go to a place like Mariloma and Carmichael and you start telling these cats, you know, like, Hey, this is what, and they think you like it from a rap video. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's all they know. But when you're in the middle of that, it, it, it brings something out of you and it, it messes with your head because when, especially when you're talking to these people in Carmichael, they, you know, they, they kind of look at you like you're lying. You know, like you know what I'm saying? until you bring them to your neighborhood and they're like, Oh shit, you know, shit's real out here. So let's get into why you chose this profession for yourself. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about where you are now. I'm talking about, you know, when you first got into, you know, all right, you want to become a doctor. Did you always know you wanted to be in that therapist field or is this like you went to school and this is what uh, captured your soul? It's a great question, man. I think I take it back. I take it back all the time because I feel like in order to really understand me, you have to understand where I'm, where I'm from, like for most of us. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm, I was raised by a single parent mom and uh, my dad and her divorced when I was three. My dad was from Mexico. He moved back to Mexico. My dad struggled with mental health. And mm-hmm. so mental health is on my radar, not because I wanted it to, but it was on my radar from the minute I was born because it affected my dad's ability to be in my life. And, uh, my dad, he coped like most people cope when you struggle with mental health struggles, including in black and Brown communities, Uh, he coped with alcohol Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's how he self-medicated. And, um, and he did that. He he went hard in the paint, man. Cause when he was, when he was barely even 50 and I was in high school, uh, he passed away from cirrhosis. So he drank himself to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that, so I look at like the, the question of, did I know that I was called to this? Well, as a kid growing up as a raised by a single parent mom, you spend a lot of time alone and with your friends. Right. And the thing my life was organized around was sports. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I knew I wanted to do, or I thought I was going to do for certain was, was be a sportscaster. I was, I was hyped on that, you know, all in on it, started a show as a kid working with the Kings, just kind of finessing things into existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I wanted to do. But, but at my heart, I could tell you, man, even since I was like, I'll take it all the way back. Like I was the kid that ran up to everyone and gave him a hug when I was like three years old. I just like, it's like loves my default. And there's been times in my life where maybe I got away a little bit from that, you know, whether it's through the, 
you know, being coached up and what it means to be a man or whatnot, Mm -hmm. but love's always been my default. Helping people has always been my default. So at a certain point early in my life, I did, I pivoted and I'm sure it has something to do with my dad's mental health struggles. I'm sure it has something to do with having a therapist in my life when I was 16, one of the only men that I would allow speak into my life who was really there for me Mm -hmm. where I just said like a light bulb went off and I was like, yo, I know that I'm meant to help people. And it wasn't like the first time I realized it, but it was the first time that I finally had to acknowledge that was I fully stepping into helping people to the degree that I was called by being an entertainer or a sportscaster. I could, I could try to sell myself a story that said yes, but the reality was I knew there was more. And so I just kind of started with, I need a backup plan. And that was the first time in my life I acknowledged anything other than the main thing, which was sports casting. Mm-hmm. And I went back to school. I started at junior college from orange coast college to Sierra college to Sac state. To be very real with you, I was at Sac state, but I really wasn't going to classes. <laughs> and so I, I knew I wanted to be a therapist. I knew I wanted to help people, but I was convinced I couldn't go to grad school. So I just kind of mailed it in and spent more time partying than doing classes and mm-hmm. whatever took a job in the, in the regular world. And I, my soul was just crushed, man. I was like this, there's gotta be more to this. And so I, I went back and just, uh, I found a program I really wanted to get into. It was a tough program to get into. It was at Alliant international university and accredited uh, school of psychology. Mm-hmm. And I basically fought like crazy to get in and I annoyed them. I bugged them. And finally the Dean said, look on paper, you got no business being here. Mm-hmm but it seems like you work hard at things you really like. And I said, look, this is it for me. I got to be here. I know now this is my purpose. And so he took a shot on me and I told him, I won't let you down and ended up changing my whole story. Went from being like a 2.6, you know, 2.6, or 2.7 GPA in undergrad, just not caring Mm -hmm. to being like a 4.0 student in master's, 4.0 student in my doctorate pursuits. And just all along the way, as I started actually getting in front of people and learning how to really do what I've always been doing, which is just help people open up and make space for them to just share what's on their heart. And then when I learned like the techniques and the tools, I'm like, Oh, like this is it. Mm -hmm. Now I'll pause and say this, the field that I entered into is not the field that I wanted to be in. So it was almost like I moved into a house and I was like, Oh, do I own this thing? Like we got to paint that wall. We got to change this, mm-hmm. knock that wall down. So I've always been re-envisioning what the, what the system should look like. Um, and that's been the, the fun part is, is like, that's just what I'm going to do. And even now, like what I see in mental health is an opportunity for us, especially in today's day and age to really rewrite the story on mental health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, the company I have, the nonprofit mental health is a cheat code cheat code to life. And, and you know what they want us to believe? They want us to believe it's for the weak mm-hmm. because if we buy into that and we don't ask for it, especially in underserved, non-served communities, then you and I, and all those people growing up in those neighborhoods, uh, we're essentially going to never get the resources we need to be able to actually step into our purpose and our calling. Cause sometimes we need to heal first. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's, that's a long way of asking how I knew, but yeah, I always knew I needed to help people. And every day I'm more confirmed that what I'm doing today is what I'm called to do. And that's to, to help people and 
um, provide platforms to heal and step into their calling. Yeah. So when, you know, like you, you told us that you, you had to fight your way into your, uh, your grad school, like what gave you that, that passion to go that hard for what you wanted to do? Because I did the same thing. You know, <laughs> I, I went to culinary school. I didn't go to any grad school, but it's, you know, yeah. I, I fucked off in culinary school. Like I was, I was already, you know, coming in from a, I was already five years into being in a restaurant cooking professionally. And when I got there, I was like, ah, I don't need this shit. I right. don't need this shit. Exactly. And you know, you go, you know, and you skim by, you know, you get that 2.0 <laughs> and I, I didn't step up my game. I, I graduated of course, but I didn't step up my game until I got out of culinary school and I started getting passed over by, you know, people that I was training. And then mm. I had to get into my head and be like, you know, fuck this, you right. know, like I, I, I'm going hard now. Yeah. What, what was that moment for you? All right. You know, I'm at this 2.6 GPA, mm-hmm. you know, what what clicked in your head? Was it, you know, you wanted to help people that bad or was it that Dean saying that you aren't a right fit for this school? You shouldn't be here. Was that it or was it, it something else that happened? Man, uh, because, I mean, I, I, I was, you know, I was remarking to, to someone earlier this week how, man, I'm an open book. I don't really care. I'll tell it all. Like you're asking, so I'll tell it all. I never even told it all, but I'll tell it all to you. I mean, like right. the, 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 the realness of it was that first of all, I was raised on one principle. I was raised on a lot, you know, love being the foundation of all raised by a single parent mom who loved me unconditionally. She always would say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And she got that one, right. The second part was she always said that, uh, to me and still says to this day, what is the worst someone could say? No. What do you lose? Shoot your shot, basically. So I was always raised on that mentality. You know, when the, when the Maloofs moved to Sacramento, I was a 12-year-old kid that finessed my way down to talk to them and said, hey, I need to do an interview on my sports show with you because I represent Placer County, which is the largest, largest uh, county where you have most of your season ticket holders. They want to know about the – you know, so I was always that – like shoot the big shot. Why not? Like, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, you miss what's it. But I think what you said too is pivotal in that, like similar to you, I always had this, like I'd walk in and I always would joke. Cause I'm like, maybe it's a, my dad's like hustlers mindset, but like I'd walk in and I always see the weaknesses like, well, Oh, well, so if I don't do this, like I see the loopholes mm-hmm. and most of my life. And I was just like, Oh, so I don't need to show up for that, which means I don't need to. And it's always like, I was doing that. And that, didn't stop until I really got to a point where because I had done that with school and because I was more serious about smoking weed than I was showing up to class or more serious about partying and girls. than I was because of that, that's when I finally ended up in a job where I was like, cool, like I could smoke weed every single day and go to this job but I, my soul is missing. Mm. It's like a sales job. Like I could sell, I could sell. Sure. I'll, I'll sell. 
but not if I don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in, uh, so I was in, you know, insurance and, and, um, and, and mortgage industry, like at a time when everyone was in insurance and mortgage industry, it was around 2006. And I hit my rock bottom moment. I was super depressed. And I basically, I was walking into the insurance shop every day, looking around, like I'm missing something because somehow they're coming in and punching a clock and it's just not right. It's just not enough for me. So I think, you know, some of it is, is that it was, I'm pretty defiant and I don't really necessarily need someone to tell me, no, if you bet against me and my mind is made up that I'm going to do it, that's just kind of on you. That's always, Mm -hmm. always, it's not so much like you're my motivation. I'm gonna wake up every day thinking I'm not letting you take up that much headspace. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is when I know I'm doing something, I'm doing it. And I've, I've always been that way, but pair that with a, a, a rock bottom moment of getting fired from an insurance job straight up because I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like literally telling and then getting another job that was basically just another form of the insurance job. It was working. Um, it was a good job, you know, good money, but you know, in all realness, bro, the first time in my life where I was like, yo, this is the first time where like the dude put me on the spot. He asked me to take the job and then he said, go take a, go take a piss test. <laughs> and I was like, man, like I've always like, finesse that. And I was like, I told myself I'm done with that. Like there, I was just done. You know what I'm saying? So I knew what was going to happen. I failed the test because I, like I said, I smoked a lot of weed and like, Mm -hmm. and that became a moment for me where I was like, I had to hit that rock bottom of like, yo, like what, what this, what you're doing right now, you have a degree. Great. You're working a day-to-day job. You don't love it. The only thing that you're really committed to is smoking weed. Mm. Uh, You're probably running from some things, which I was, um, in terms of my own like mental health struggles of grief of losing my dad, stuff like that. So it really came to that moment of like, what are you going to do? So I was on, um, unemployment until it just about ran out. And it was during that dark time that I said to myself, like, I, I didn't even, I, I believe in God a lot now. I didn't really believe in God much then. I remember saying like, yo, Like, I want to go help people. I want to be a therapist. I got to get into school. I screwed that up. I don't know. Can you help me out here? And, uh, and then, and then once I started seeing, once that became a mind lock for me, it was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to be a problem for someone until they tell me yes. (laughs) And that's just what I decided. So when he stood across from me and he said, you know, Dr. Davis, who ended up becoming my mentor, who also became my boss, who became to this day, someone that now I got to bring into cheat code, you know, like nice. my whole, my whole Full lane circle. changed. Yeah. But when I got, when I got to say to him, when he said to me, like on paper, you don't, I'm like, finally, we're talking truth here. Like, yeah, I'm not, but I swear to you, look me in the eye, man. I swear to you that I will show up because when my mind's made up, it was never made up before. I promise you that you'll see. Um, again, it's that mind lock. It's like something about just that determination mixed with the why mixed with the darkest moments I think sometimes in life, it's like I was outrunning my calling. And I think sometimes we do that. We outrun our calling. And I think God just pulls back. It's like, all right, you want to sit in that? Sit in that for a minute. And then, like, you just get tired and you're like, it stinks. This sucks. Like, okay, what? Like, what do you want to do? And then we finally give it and surrender. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, So cheat code. So you're, you're in your private practice, right? Yep. What makes you 
go from, <laughs> all right, oh, I don't know how much you charge. I was going to throw it out there, $100 an hour, you know. What makes you go, because I, I sit every Monday at 10 a.m., I sit in front of my computer with my therapist. Love you know, him, man. And I, I, after every time, and Lupe's great. Shout out Lupe over at uh, Sparks down in Midtown. Um, Ooh, well, uh, do you know Lupe's last name? Uh, I don't think she'll want me to say it on here, but. <laughs> well, you could say, anyway, you tell me offline. Because I'll if tell it's you a, offline. If, if it's a Lupe I'm thinking about, I actually was a professor and I had a Lupe as a student that works in Midtown. It may be her. Anyway, keep going. Okay. <laughs> so, That's awesome. But, That's awesome if it is. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, and, but after I get out of these sessions, every time I'm like, fuck, she has to go through this shit every <laughs> fucking day for an hour listening to people like me fucking cry about, you know, like, <laughs> and so what makes you go from that to, all right, I'm going to start this foundation, this cheat code foundation. Is it people like me telling bullshit Man. stories? <laughs> nah. Well, let, 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 let's, let's clear that up, man. Yeah. How, how, how do you, how do you, if I stepped in your world and I tried to do what you do, mm-hmm. I probably, I probably last about an hour. Like you probably last an hour in my job. Yeah. I, I, again, that goes back to like, we are a glove. We are, our hand fits one thing and, and, or, you know, multiple things, maybe not one thing, but we're called to do certain things. And when you step into your calling, the, the, the load is easy and there's, there's joy to it. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure if I was interviewing you, I'd ask you all about your process and how you came up with, you know, your concepts and your recipes and the org- like all the things you love about what you do. And I bet if you talked about it long enough, you'd be like, bro, it's not even work. Like, I just love it. It's a passion. Like I'm in a lane of just, so for me and probably for Lupe, uh, there's just a certain way that, and it's, and believe me, it ain't a moral thing. It's not like, oh, I'm a better person because I could listen to more. No, it's just like, I don't know why, but I'm wired. I actually get energy after days where I do it for seven or eight hours. It's crazy, bro. I don't know. I don't understand why. I just do. Um, I I also, after seven or eight hours, I feel like there have been days where I'll struggle going in to show up for someone and um, with my own stuff. And there's nothing more freeing and liberating than sitting across from someone and just like, focusing not on yourself, but on someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's powerful, man. The, the, the whole thing with cheat code is just that, you know, I talk a lot about calling purpose. Um, I'm a believer in God mentioned that a couple of times already, but you know, like I, I, I've obviously always dreamed big. And to me, what, the more that I just felt like I spent time spiritually on the question of like, God, what do you want from me? I felt like the answer was like, I want, I want you to just really focus on the lost, the people that don't have a voice, be a voice for the voiceless, be a leader for the lost, Mm. like over and over. And I know that every time in my life where I've done that, talk about easy. Like when I, I love doing there, I'll do a session with anyone. Right. But when I go into prisons, when I go into, when I go into, you know, the streets and just people that are homeless, like, talk about next level ease. It's that for me. Mm -hmm. So with cheat code foundation, there's always been this side of me of like, I'm in the system and I see every single day how broken the system is uh, with mental health. 
And the people that need it the most, the people that need mental health support the most, uh, they don't have access to it. Mm-hmm. And we can say it a lot of ways, but it's, it's messed up. It's not right. Yeah. You know? And, um, so for me, it was like, I think I felt led a lot to a point in my life where if I'm going to have this access, you know, in the last two years, start working with elite level athletes, Mookie Betts, Lindsey Vaughn, Chris Godwin, um, Mallory Pugh, Dansby Swanson, D Gordon. Like when I started working with them and, you know, God opened those doors, I'm kind of like, this is awesome because I put them in the same category that I put any of my clients. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's different is they have a huge platform. So I'm like, God, what are you doing here? Like, you want me to become some doctor that charges an absurd amount of money and goes around the country and flies away? I got a wife and kids at home. Like what, what is all this? And I felt like really what was revealed to me in that was no, give them the best experience you can give them and then encourage them to be courageous enough to tell the world about it. Mm-hmm. That's the cheat code. Cheat code's goal is to end stigma around talking about mental health struggles. Cause we all go through them mm-hmm. in primarily in black and Brown communities, but number two, finding a way to get access to the mental health cheat codes, the best of the best of the best of the best, the stuff I use with all those people I just named, get it in underserved, non-served communities that never have a shot. That's what the foundation's about. And to me, it's like, I couldn't be in good conscience if I wasn't doing that connecting of dots. So straight up, I've told everyone, I looked Mookie Betts in the face and I said, bro, I will work with you. I will go to the carpet with you. I'll, I'll show up. I'll fly out wherever you need me to be, but you have to, the only agreement is you have to agree to not only show up to do the work, but also to, to tell your story. I like that. And if you do that and you help me with your platform, shift and change the narrative in black and Brown communities around mental health. Okay then we got a deal. If not, it's all good, man. Yeah. But, I, but I, I'm, I'm batting a thousand because everyone I've said that to has said, yes, it's been incredible. So they're willing to join this movement that we have to talk about the inequity, uh, the inequality of mental health in this country. And to talk about also too the fact that it's rooted like most things in our country in a broken system, like most systems that are rooted in systemic oppression. Mm-hmm. And it's cheat code is as much about acknowledging that as also acknowledging there's a solve and saying, if we could rally the right people with the resources and the voices and the platforms to do what's right, we have enough resources Mm -hmm. privately. We have enough to go do this work in underserved, non-served communities. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the mission of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Let's, let's dig a little bit deeper doc, because when, when I grew up, there was a couple things that, my my pops always this is just like keep your problems to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. If a cop pulls you over ten and two, don't talk back, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And just keep it within the family. Don't fucking go outside of the family with any of your stuff. And that's something till this day that. Both of my parents, when they hear me on here, why are you giving up? Why are you say this? Why are you doing that? Because this is this is like therapy to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like talking to people like you, talking just talking to anybody and getting their story out and their truth out is why 
this podcast. This is why I'm doing this podcast. Love it. Because I get a second therapy session on Monday <laughs> for free. For free right. this time. Right. right? This one's free. <laughs> Charges to the game. Yeah. So when you're talking to these athletes, because I'm sure they had the same kind of keep it in the family, keep your shit to yourself. Hell yeah. And we're we're trained to bottle to be men, right? To be strong black and brown men. But we can't be strong if we're all fucked up in the head all the time. Right? Well, well 100%. I, I always go like taken out of context, we all seem strange. It's a quote that I use a lot from Annie DeFranco, who's a poet and songwriter and like the reason I love that quote and I wear it out is because let's put things in context. It's a luck. It's a luxury and a privilege, not only to speak to someone that's a professional about your feelings. It's a luxury and privilege to be able to own your feelings out loud. So we start talking a lot about owning privilege, right? Owning racial privilege, owning white privilege, owning society, uh, social class privilege, you know, zip code privilege, you name it, right? What we don't also acknowledge is that just be able to say what you feel and like what you're going through, that's a privilege. So yes, it's a stereotype in a, in a construction, a, a social construction in black and brown communities, but to me, it's more of an issue of class struggle. The majority of neighborhoods where you are surviving on a daily basis in survival, if I was an animal in survival and I had a, a jacked up wing, I would naturally nurse that and hide that from you because if you knew that, you were about to take me out, right? The same applies emotionally in black and brown communities because a lot of those communities are in survival mode 24 mm-hmm. seven. So, you know, like, and sometimes we get really, we get really hot on, you know, like black and brown narratives around that, but let's put it in proper perspective. Like that's a survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to acknowledge there too. Like that's, that's why I say this stuff goes back to systemic oppression, right? Like even those narratives go back to like, how did we end up in communities traditionally speaking or predominantly speaking that are more under-resourced and underprivileged. Mm-hmm. And we go back to redlining and we go, we just, you got to acknowledge all that shit. Yes. It all matters. Yes. So it, it plays a role in how those, those narratives started and where they got framed from. Mm-hmm. So I think that what I try to do, I think is sometimes is, and I'll go with some people, I go deep down the rabbit hole. Like I'm going with you. Other people, I just say, look, let's think about where that stuff comes from. But once we put it in context, it makes so much more sense, man. Like, you know, a lot of the, the other thing, like it was interesting. The number the number two thing you said was around like, you know, uh, obviously like how to interact with, uh, you know, the police. And it's like, at a very young age, I mean, survival skills yeah, though, right? Three, four, if, five. Just if your dad, beat in my head. If your dad <laughs> didn't do that, he wasn't, he wasn't loving on you. Yes. In yes. the same way with the first and the same way with the third. Because again, imagine if you are a member of a black or brown family and you are not in a higher socioeconomic class and you start doing the third one, which is speaking on some family business. Guess what? Now you get an oppressive system that you don't trust in your business. That's really where it comes from. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think, so first what I do is I, I would say to anyone I work with, let's honor this narrative. 
it works. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it totally, and that it doesn't totally work. It's not totally ideal, but ne- none of this shit's totally ideal. Mm-hmm. So I think that's very important to start there and say that for, I think a lot of it comes down to trust and that, and again, the, the continued kick the can effects of systemic racism and oppression in our, in our country, it's even tied into the narratives that we have in communities around speaking on our mental health. So I think when we start there, I, I have this really big belief that if we start framing mental health and, and putting it into this larger societal conversation of, of social justice and deconstructing the system, I think then we have a better shot at being compassionate to ourselves. Cause then the translation goes when I talk into an athlete who grew up in the hood, like, Oh shit. Like that's right, man. Like that's fucked up. Like I couldn't have even said something if I wanted to, because partly cause I'm black and I'm breaking black code, but on the other side, like, dude, like that's a function of the oppressive system, mm-hmm. you know? And if we want to protest systems, what do we do? The opposite. Yes which is to be vulnerable and say, I'm a man and I got feelings too. I'm a, I'm a black man. I'm a brown man. I got feelings too. Oh, and I go see my therapist. Oh, my mental health is the cheat code. Like that to me is a a protest of an oppressive system. They don't want us to do that. They don't want us to ask for better transformational mental health resources and communities. Because if they did that in DPH and South Sac and all those other communities, Mm -hmm. do you understand that one by one, what would happen if we had access to transformational mental health? Nah, man, we, 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 we'd start flipping those neighborhoods. Yes. They don't want that. They no. don't want that. No, they don't. And, you know, it started, you know, didn't start there. But, you know, it's just like, you know, the, the crack in the hood versus the the pills in the in the majority white hood, you know, crack 20 years, you know, men, mental health or therapist if you're popping pills, you know, and I, I feel that. You know, it just, it's just an ongoing issue with us, you know, not being, uh, on, on everybody's minds, I guess, you know, and like, let's put these guys over here. Let's give them a controlled substance that, you know, will kill them off. And, but if they get caught with one crack rock, it's 20 years in jail. All right. White kid going to, uh, Rio Americano gets caught with a bunch of their parents oxycodone let's get them into therapy what do you think about that doc i think that you're speaking truth i don't know what else to say other than amen yeah i mean that's i mean yeah again that you're speaking on the elements and roots of systemic oppression and how they've been you know we say system they've been in the system mm-hmm. from the get-go um and, and again like we frame also the other thing element too is like five percent of clinicians of therapists are black in the whole field. That's crazy, right? So 5%. So here's the other thing too, is that, you know, we have therapy traditionally has been seen and framed. When you think of a therapist, you traditionally think of an old white person on a couch Mm -hmm. in a, in a knit sweater, you know, sitting there taking notes, listening, but not really giving a whole lot, not really. There's this, there's this narrative of disconnect already. And there's this narrative of like, how could we ever see ourselves in a system that isn't representative of us? Yes. And so, you know, going back again to that, it's like you talk about the natural recourses that happen in one zip code versus another in terms of selling crack versus selling cocaine or oxy or whatever it may be. We're also looking at too, that if that kid did get referred to therapy 
in both those communities for crack versus, you know, oxy in majority of cases. Yeah. Like the white neighborhoods are going to be like open to therapy a lot more than the kids growing up in the neighborhoods where they're like talking to someone that doesn't look like them, doesn't understand them, doesn't come from their background, isn't trained to even be curious and know how to approach that. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, a lot of, it wasn't until recently and I say recent in the last 10 years that even education in, in training of therapists really acknowledged cultural competency. It was just a diversity class. I got to teach it. And I was like, always like, this is crazy. Like this should be the whole thing. Right. Like, but it was one little class that you took three, three units of your, you know, hundreds of units that you took. It wasn't until recently that we started even acknowledging this, you know, and again, like for, for listeners to your podcast, I think there is like, I know we're speaking a lot of truth and sometimes truth is focusing on the problems. I'll, I'll just flip it real good. Let you know that there's a lot of good that can happen. Like that's what we're doing in our cheat code foundation is we're training BIPOC clinicians Mm -hmm. in underserved non-serve communities on the methods I use with the athletes I named earlier so that they can go in and do transformational healing experiences with people in the community and continue to have a self-sustained economy of creating more opportunities for themselves and not just train clinicians. If you want to go radical, I'll go, I'll go all the way, you know, Malcolm little on you. And I'll tell you that going all the way on it. Like my militant belief is that the future of mental health eventually includes us going into underserved, non-served neighborhoods, getting money to where we can train the OGs mm-hmm. on the stoop. Yes. Train the barbers, train the elders, train the pat. I'm saying whoever's got the ear and the trust. Mm-hmm. And has that natural gift and ability, we train them. We equip them. We don't put them through hundreds of thousands of dollars of a student loan racket. We just find a way to get a 12-week program and say, in 12 weeks, I'm going to make you cheat code certified. So you can go in and do transformational healing. In 12 weeks, I'm going to give you a path to making some decent money. In 12 weeks, I'm going to help you heal the neighborhood that you see every single day. Mm -hmm. That's the future. There's a lot of hope to be had in this conversation, too. That's a great idea. My goodness. The the barber, hell yeah. You right? know, like, <laughs> they're already doing it. They Just already teach them doing how to do it, it a little bit more. Like, exactly. Oh, I mean, let, oh, that's a probing question. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, like, oh, let me do it. Come on, man. Like bar- barbers already. If you just did that, if you went to every hood and you said, who's got the best fade? You're essentially also asking who's got the ear of yeah. the community. Yeah. If you just gave me if you could raise private money and I could just train them mm-hmm. straight up, I'll, I'll, I will walk in. I'd say, I'll put them against the therapists that come out of UCLA when they go into <laughs> South central, like watch me. Yeah. Let's see who does better. Let's see who does better. You know what I mean? Man. <laughs> great idea. So what, what, what's the cheat code foundation uh, doing to help with the stigma of, you know, the, the therapy in the hood or it's just, just anywhere, you know, um, yeah, two, I, I know yeah. we're kind of pigeonholing the hood right now, but no, you but know, that's, it's that's, black that's folks the, everywhere too, and brown folks. Definitely, but I think you know, the, again, the issue with the Chico Foundation is just just saying that who whoever has the need should get it. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. But by us saying and pigeonholing ghettos or or black and brown folks, we're also just owning the truth that if you look predominantly at you know, who is disenfranchised the most in our society, it is black and brown folks. Right. So uh, we're just kind of 
the, the story paints itself essentially, you know, it's, it's not leading in that way. What we're trying to do is a couple things. Like one is advocacy and advocacy in today's day and age looks like, you know, we, we do have some lobbyists on our squad that are helping us squat up to help understand, you know, legislation that could pass or we could get involved with, get some more athletes involved with that's more of a long-term play Mm -hmm. to be real with you. I'm not really anchoring anything to anything public. I'm all about private. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I mean is that like, we really, I want to really raise a lot of funds privately in this network that I've gotten myself into Mm -hmm. to try to like galvanize people and say, look, if I gave you a strategic plan, I'm telling you this 10 grand, this hundred grand could be better spent on lives in this way, training clinicians, training OGs and barbers, Mm -hmm. and actually then allowing them to go be an exponential healing force in the community than it could in most nonprofit situations. So advocacy for us looks like the the, the boots on the ground advocacy is Instagram. So our Instagram uh, channel is cheat code. We just launched it and you'll get the, you'll get the vibe there. Mm -hmm. Like it's, the target demographic is people that have been left out the lost. Right. So it's like, it's talking about mental health in a whole new kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's telling stories of, of BIPOC folks that went through the process, sharing their mental health stories. So we're ending stigma by doing that. And then we even mix in a few athletes because, you know, sometimes musicians and, you know, we're adding more people constantly so that we can kind of get this vibe of like, yo, every, this is the move for everyone. It's kind of like the first time that culture really meets mental health. And we, we make it something new. So there's, there's advocacy and rebranding happening through our social media channel and, and primarily Instagram. We're getting ready to launch TikTok. Um, advocacy happening on the public side of things. Um, but the, but the real thing is this, like last two Thursday nights, I was put into a fundraising situation. So, um, which is new to me, but like I said, I, I, I could sell, especially for this man, I'll sell all day long for, for the loss and the underserved and the non-serve. So we went in on to Morton steakhouse in Sacramento mm-hmm. to a private room full of folks. And we, we raised a hundred thousand dollars two two Thursdays ago, that hundred thousand dollars allowed us to launch this, this beginning of May, we were acting on faith. We were going to launch it one way or another. We already had the cohort 15. And this is traditionally what we do in underserved communities. So in Sacramento, that hundred thousand dollars allowed us to train 15 BIPOC clinicians. Uh, this round is primarily, there's like two folks that are non-licensed members of the community, but most of them are licensed because we're doing data collection research to get grants and stuff. So we just want to like try to do it as conservative as possible at first. So we're doing it that way. They get trained in all the methods that I do mm-hmm. with, you know, the athletes. And then after they go through the training program, they almost have like an army like commitment where they have agreed to see five people in, in underserved communities that we link them with um, as their give back for all the free training there and education they're getting. Um, the beauty of it is so, so with a hundred grand, what we're able to do is train 15, uh, you know, black and Brown predominantly clinicians and we're able to give cheat code to a hundred people in Del Paso Heights, South Sac, you know, it's made a hundred total mm-hmm. made up of that neighborhood, but it's a gift that keeps giving because those clinicians are going to still keep serving there. So um, that's what we did, you know, a couple Thursdays ago, that that's our boots on the ground mission in terms of what we're doing with, we want to go take city by city the Thursday night, this past Thursday night, we were on a call with 
a lot of professional athletes, Lindsey Vaughn came on and helped do a fundraising portion. We raised some money and she told her story at a guy that named Fernando, who I take with me everywhere now because former Norteño and he, he came in and told his story about how he healed from all these traumas. He's living an amazing life right now. So we, we're going out there and we're like, look, give us, give us some more funds. Let us be good fiduciaries. We'll go out and we'll find a way. And so we're challenging people now to continue to raise funds so we can go out, train and equip more leaders, mm-hmm. allow them to go do the healing work in communities, leave communities better than we found them. And just that's, that's the vision is, you know, again, advocacy on the front end of the foundation back end of it is just old school, do the work. Mm-hmm. but train up people exponentially to go out and be agents of healing. Yes. No, that's amazing. And, um, I don't know how I could get involved with this, but I, I got that feeling. I got that, that, that butterflies in my stomach right now. So, um, so listen yeah. to it and we'll, and we'll follow up, man. Yes, I mean, like definitely every it's a movement mm-hmm. and I'm not going to, I'm not going to cheapen the word. Like I've thought long and hard about even saying it out loud. I've, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a student of the civil rights movement. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of a lot of movements. And the reason I call it a movement is because movements happen in response to a social problem that we get fed up with. And we say, it's just not right. It's just not right. that The most traumatized members of society don't have access to transformational healing experiences. Mm -hmm. It's just not right. We got to do something about it. It's a movement. So for you, man, like everyone's got a role in this, you know, yours, yours could end up being bigger than mine for all we know. The bottom line is we just have to listen to it and we'll, we'll talk offline and we'll find a way for you to get, um, in support of this or become a part of this or get trained up in this or whatever, man, like we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, another underserved community is the restaurant community and man. you know, we, we've been through a lot this, You're right. this last year and a half. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned it on here before there, there hasn't, you know, I know the government, if you watch TV, you know, loans and grants and all this stuff, but when you're out there and you're trying to survive and you're a small business owner or you're a mom and pop owner and there's a lot of people that can't get on a computer and, you know, like it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to deal with. And, you know, I, I'm one of the lucky ones that, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay through this whole pandemic. Um, but there was a lot of pivoting, which is the word of the year. And, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, growth inside of me and in my, my management staff and even my, you know, my, my line cooks and my dishwashers. There's been a lot of sacrifice over this last year and a half that has taken a lot out of people. Um, and that's when I was listening to you speak, I was like, you know what? I think there's a lot of help that could be done in the restaurant community because it's, it's splintered right now, man, you know, especially with these unemployment checks and these uh, stimulus checks, which of course we all need it, but it's time for people to come back to work and they ain't coming back to work. You not, know, because, not the way the system is set up. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because, because they, you know, they're sitting back collecting this check, but also they're thinking about why am I in this industry? This industry mm-hmm. takes so much out of me, right. you know, like I don't service. need to go back. Yes. It's right. a service industry. There's no, no in this industry. There's always, yes. You know what I mean? There's always yes. And how, how can I help you? You right. know what I mean? It's always yes. First, 
But mm-hmm. who's saying yes to these people that need to help in the restaurant industry? Right. You know what I mean? Um, and that, and that's not, you know, I, I know that it was, I think it was, I don't know if it was Patrick Mulvaney, I believe it was, who set up a fund because he had, he, he lost, and I, and I may be, I may need to get a fact check on this, but I know that a, a local restaurant, um, you know, owner who had multiple restaurants lost three or four, empl- I think it was three employees to suicide in, in a year and did something in response to it. And that was before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, sh- I shudder to think what's happening now, you know, again, like it just goes back, we go back to like what's right and what's wrong. Like it's crazy to me that we have to even like, we'd have to even advocate, you know, and I'm not like a, not even necessarily, I wouldn't say necessarily, I don't think I'm a socialist or anything like that, but I'm like, man, it, does it, if it makes me a socialist to say that like everyone that, that, that needs someone to talk to, or someone to let it out to, and that should be a basic human right, mm-hmm. man, call me a socialist. Like, cause <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. Like that should be basic to me. And, yeah. and, and, and every industry. And then again, like that's, then you get into like benefits and who has it and who doesn't. And, um, it's a complex issue, but yeah, man, we need to talk more about how we could, we could be a solve to it. Yes, for sure. Hey, and doc, um, we're, 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 we're at the end here and, I know we didn't have this on your rundown, but I know you have a great one for this segment of coming in hot. So this segment, you got to come in hot on any, any topic that you want, you know, just off the top of the dome, like one, two minutes. It could be 30 seconds of just any topic you want to come in hot on. So Dr. Mondo. It First is, of all, I thought, I thought you, I thought you were gonna have me freestyle, but keep going. Sorry. Nah, hey, if you need, hey, if you got sixteen, you got sixteen. You hey, know, hey, everybody get, should have sixteen in their back pocket. Can you turn me up in the headset real quick? Where's that beat at? Uh, <laughs> all right, so Doctor Mondo, it is time to come in hot. What you got? Should I just go with the first thing that came to my mind? Is that Eddie, how this works? First thing that comes to your mind. I'm yeah. gonna get, I'm gonna get, oh, what if I get in trouble for it, though? That's what we're here it? to do. We, okay. <laughs> I've already told you about all my other stuff. My God, you've already got me to open up, you therapist, you. Um, <laughs> A lot of years. <laughs> look, man, I, I'm sorry, but I got to come in hot with this, okay? okay. I got to come in hot with okay. this. I'm, look, I... I Everyone, I understand everyone's got a different take on like the whole mask thing and like where we're at with that and stuff like that. I'm just going to tell you that it's not normal and it's not normal in human behavior to go so long without touching one another. That's my hot take. Yeah. I'm a hugger. Yeah. And, 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 and I feel like I'm a, you know, I'm getting shamed for reaching out and extend exchange. I, oh, well, let me dab. Like, come on, man. Like, I'm sorry, but there's going to be negative effects there's a lot of negative effects from COVID, but one from this mask wearing stuff, I'm going to come in hot and tell you, man, that like, it's not normal. And some of you are going to go back to your daily lives and practices and go, well, it's never going to be normal again. And you're not going to hug people because you're worried about germs or you're worried about, (laughs) yo, like give that up. Mm -hmm. Do you know that that we release chemicals in our brain every time we hug and embrace someone, every time someone looks us in the eye, like, yo, we need that. We need a lot of things, but we need that. 
stop focusing so much on being, you know, uh, a germ expert (laughs) and just at, at some point, man, whenever, I don't know, whenever the CDC or the government or whatever you feel comfortable, do it on your own time. But let me just say, don't give up on, don't give up on love and don't give up on physical touch. It's very important. And I think that that's a fear I have right now that, you know, there's some things that we're just going to try to accept. And I'm going to hit you with a double, double one on the way out too. Don't fall for the belief that zoom is the same as in person Hmm. because I'm feeling this connection right here. But if you and I were in person, it would be stronger. You can't tell me it wouldn't be. This would have been about three hours. Man, <laughs> I would say roll the tape. That's, that tells me how old I am. Keep the tape going. They wouldn't have enough tape. Yeah, we, we, we'd go old school. Um, but th- those are the two things I'm going to say, man. Like in person still is needed. Don't do everything virtually. And the other thing is like hug someone. I can't even believe I'm having to come in hot with that. Hey. Only after COVID. But like, don't be afraid to hug someone. Don't be afraid to brace someone like, man, I'm worried about everyone. Yes. And if you're worried about that, man, I, I get it. And that's the other side is like, I have compassion. We all have different fears and reactions to what we've been through. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying don't settle for that because you'll be blocking something that you need. It's a basic human need to need some level of affection and, and, and human interaction and touch. That was hot. That was sizzling. I might get canceled for it, but appreciate you. <laughs> might get canceled for it. Probably. There's not that many people that uh, listen to this. Hey, (laughs) whoever they are, they'll cancel me for it. (laughs) Might go viral on this one. Hey, Doc, go ahead and plug everything you need to plug, your social, your website, anything right now, buddy. Yeah, man. Instagram, uh, Dr. Mondo, D-R-M-O-N-D-O. Uh, that's the main spot that I usually am on. You could also check out my podcast. It's on Spotify, iTunes. It's called Level Up with Dr. Mondo, where we talk to athletes and uh, we talk to musicians, entertainers. Um, it's a short 15-minute podcast that just basically tells the untold stories of, of mental health struggles. Um, and then you can check out more about Cheat Code, at Cheat Code, uh, like video game, Cheat, C-H-E-A-T, code c-o-d-e and we also have more information about the foundation which is uh the cheatcode.org and those are the places you can find out more about us i love it man and doc thank you so much for coming can't through. wait can't wait to meet in person man hey we'll for do sure it. man this uh you know like Hit i mean with your number you, on the side yeah so I know you, it. you all around so you know <laughs> whenever you back in sack um oh, oh, we'll make time yeah uh, yeah uh, this has been great man i really it's, I feel like I've known you for a long time. Exactly. <laughs> Already, man. You know I mean? I, I, yeah. When I first came on here, I was like, you know, I know this guy from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, but, now, you know, you know, sometimes you just, you know, now like you just, you just yeah. click. But, uh, hey, check me out at Nash and Proper, at Chef Cease on IG. You could, yes. you could come and get those delicious hot chicken sandwiches. Just look us up at www dot nash com. hey for dr armando gonzalez my name is chef cease we just came in hot see you next week love you peace <laughs>